So now we're in the incident that the Bible records for us directly after the incident of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis 20, we find Abraham sojourning in a place called Gerar. He's he's sojourning in a place called Gerar. And the Bible tells us that while he is there now in this new place, because he's a little bit of a nomad, he's got all these herds and these flocks, he's wealthy, he's moving around from place to place, and now he's in this new place. And when he arrives in this new place, he resorts to his old tricks. And I want you to look, if you've got your Bible open, to Genesis chapter 20 and verse 2. Because in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. We've heard this before. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah have done this sister act thing before. See what I did there? And back in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah are sojourning in Egypt. And it was at that point in Egypt when when they first tried this out. When Abraham told Sarah to tell everyone that she was his sister rather than his wife. And he does that because she is really gorgeous. And I'm not making that up. Uh, he does that because she, she's so gorgeous that he is afraid that no matter where he goes, people are going to kill him so they can have her. And I told you guys a few weeks ago when we talked about this the first time that Valentine's Day was coming up, and that would make a great card. You are so beautiful, I'm afraid people will kill me. And you may have forgotten Valentine's Day may have come and gone, and you forgot to put that in the card, but we're talking about it again. So you've got anniversaries, you've got other things coming up where you can make a card like that. So, so Abimelech takes Sarah into his household, and while Abimelech is sleeping one night, God appears to him in a dream and tells him what the deal is. He tells him that this is actually not Abraham's sister. This is Abraham's wife. And he tells Abimelech that he is going to be killed if he doesn't give her back. And so as you can imagine, Abimelech is somewhat miffed about this. And he has a confrontation with Abraham where he basically says, what's the deal? Why did you lie to me this way? And so, of course, Abraham reveals his fear that his wife is so gorgeous that he thinks he's going to be killed, a fear that is not totally unfounded since this has now happened twice. Let me remind you that Sarah is 90 at this point. So her staying power of her gorgeousness is, is, is fantastic. All right, so Abraham and Abimelech talk it out. They're able to make things right. And then at the end of chapter 21, Abimelech shows up again. And Abimelech shows up again with, with a man by the name of Phicol, who is the commander of his army. And he comes up to Abraham and he basically says, Abraham, I want to make a treaty with you. And there are many biblical scholars that, that see what's going on here of, 
of uh, Abimelech showing up with the commander of his army is basically he at this per- particular time is the man in the stronger position in this area. But he can see that Abraham's greatness is increasing. And so he decides he wants to get in on the front end of this and make a treaty of peace with Abraham so that it goes well with them so there's peace between their, uh, their, their two peoples. And so he proposes this covenant, this treaty, and they talk about this dispute about a well, and they're having an argument about it, and then they work out the details of their argument, and the long story short is they create a covenant of peace between them. Okay, I told you I was going to summarize some of that stuff uh, pretty quickly for you. Okay, but sandwiched in between the beginning of 20 and the end of 21, which are both stories about this man by the name of Abimelech, sandwiched in between those two stories is the birth of Isaac. And this is a very, very, very important birth. So look with me at at Genesis chapter 21. Now we're going to read verses 1 to 7. Verses 1 to 7. All right, the, the Bible says this, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised Isaac, or his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now this is an important birth because there's something obviously supernatural going on that these people at this age are able to have children. And it's an important birth because it means that the promise that God had made to Abraham and Sarah 25 years earlier had finally come true. They had gone through a variety of seasons of doubt, but God had delivered on the promise that He made to them. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit. But I want to keep moving through the story because not everybody is excited about this birth announcement. Look with me now at verse 8. The Bible says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now you can see here that the bad blood between Hagar and Sarah has not gone away over time. If you are familiar with these stories in Genesis, or you've been with us as we've been going through it, then you might remember 
that some 14 years ago, because remember, Isaac is, or Ishmael, Hagar's son, is now 14 years old. But 14 years ago, Abraham and Sarah cooked up this plan since they weren't having a child and God had promised them a child and it wasn't happening and it wasn't happening. They took matters into their own hands. Abraham had a child through her handmaid, her servant, Hagar. And now this young man is a teenager. We know that there's been, we know that there's been friction because the Bible told us that there was friction between them uh, for some period of time. And now they're having this celebration of this birth, this, this arrival of God's promise. And the Bible tells us that Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. And the text indicates to us that this is a little bit more malicious than it seems at the outset. Because remember, uh, Isaac is a baby. This kid, Ishmael, is, is around 14 years old now. And when the Bible talks about this later on in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 4, it refers to it using the language of persecution. So the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what is going on here, but it's more than just simply laughing about it. There is something malicious about it and something that Sarah might even perceive to be dangerous. And so Sarah's had enough. And she tells Abraham that they are not going to be able to coexist anymore. And Abraham doesn't like this because Ishmael is Abraham's son. And yet the Lord appears to Abraham in a dream and tells him that, that they can part ways. And so they do that. And so now we see Hagar and her son Ishmael departing from the family, and they are now going to begin their journey back towards Egypt, because remember, Hagar is Egyptian. And as they're making their way across the wilderness, and they're making their way back towards more familiar land, Hagar and Ishmael run out of water. And they've run out of water, and their, their thirst has become so great that now it's a threat to their lives. And the Bible tells us here that, that, that uh, Hagar leaves Ishmael under a bush, and then she goes about a bow shot away from him. So a bow shot is basically about as far as you can shoot an arrow from a bow. That's what that means. And she goes about that far away from him because she wants to be near him, but she can't stand to watch him die. And so it's, it's actually a pretty sad picture of this mother... Her son, who have been with this family for years, who are now parting ways with them, and now they're in the desert, and now she knows that death is going to come to both of them, and she wants to be, she wants to be close enough to her son that she's with him, but not close enough that she can hear his cries. And this is an awful picture. So the Bible tells us that she lifted up her voice and wept, and he's weeping too. And then the Bible says this in verse 17. It says, and God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. 
And then the Bible goes on to say that she immediately sees a well that's nearby and they're able to get the water that they need to continue on in their journey. But I want to remind you of something that's really interesting here that some of you uh, may have noticed right away, but some of us may have forgotten. Because the Bible tells us just in the space of these two verses, it says God heard the voice of the boy, and then later on in verse 17 it says God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Do you remember what Ishmael's name means? It means God hears. All the way back when Ishmael is first born and, and Hagar runs away and the angel of the Lord chases after her and shows her kindness and tells her to that she can come back home and that he is going to make a great nation out of her son uh, Ishmael too. He instructs her that, that he is to be named Ishmael, which means God hears. And so when we read this in our text now, we're being reminded once again, hey, God hasn't forgotten his promise to them either. God is going to take care of them and God is going to make a nation out of Hagar's son too, even though he isn't the promised child like Isaac was. And as I said, she sees a well of water nearby. They're able to, uh, to get provisions for the rest of the journey. And the Bible goes on to tell us that she finds a, a wife for him in Egypt, and he does indeed grow up to become a nation. Okay, so I know we went really fast through all of that, but that's an overview of Genesis chapters 20 and 21. So now, as we think about what God has for us in this passage of Scripture, I want us to focus our attention on uh, a sub-theme that has been threaded through the stories that we've been reading that began in chapter 17. That little sub-theme that has been woven through these, these stories, it's like a a thread, as you're working through Bible stories, you can pull on different threads and see different themes. And this theme that I want to tug on just a little bit is the theme of laughter. Laughter here in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 17, God had appeared to Abraham and Sarah and he had changed their names. And not only had he changed their names, but he had repeated a promise to them. Genesis chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, it'll be on the screen behind me, but I'll read it for you. God is promising, he's appearing to Abraham and he's promising this. He's saying, I will bless her, referring to Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Now, just hit the pause button on this. I know I brought this up, but I want to, I want to remind you of what it, what it, I want to remind you of this again, because as we just singing, we were just singing a few moments ago, we know how the story ends, but they're in the story. They don't yet know how the story ends. And so God is appearing to a man who is now well into his old age with a wife who is well into his old age. And he's saying, hey, I just want to remind you, Abraham, your wife is going to have children, your descendants, she she is going to have nations come from her. Kings are going to be in your line. And that's something that's frankly a little hard to believe 
right? At, at this rate, at the rate we're going, it's a little bit hard to believe. Okay? So the Bible tells us in verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, we don't need to dissect this laugh too much. It's not, I don't think it's a laugh that's of straight unbelief that, that Abraham doesn't believe this could possibly happen. But it's a little crazy. And imagine, you're, put yourself in his shoes hearing that kind of promise and just laughing to think, wow. Could God do something like that? So as Abraham is looking at the situation, all he can do is laugh. And if you've ever wondered if God has a sense of humor or not, it's at this point where he instructs Abraham and Sarah, not only are you going to have a child, but you have to give the child the name I want you to have, want the child to have. That child's good name is going to be Isaac, and you remember what Isaac means? He laughs. So if you ever want, to, if you're ever wondering, does God have a sense of humor? Abraham laughs and says, "You're going to have a son. It's going to come true, and you're going to name him." He laughs. God tells him in verse 21 of chapter 17 that this time next year he laughs is going to be born. All right, then we get to chapter 18, and in chapter 18, the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham and Sarah, and he repeats the promise again, and once again, it'll be on the screen behind me, but I'll read it to you, Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 10. It says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Put the images in your mind because this is funny stuff. She's behind that tent flap listening to find out what these visitors are talking about with Abraham. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, in case we haven't made that point enough. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have, the ple- have pleasure? Shall I, at this point in my life, have the pleasure of having a child? So, outside the tent, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Abraham doesn't know Sarah's laughed. laughed. He's outside of the tent. She's inside the tent. He asks why she laughed. And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then the angel asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, despite your laughter, shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid, as you would be. And he said, no, but you did. Told you last time we talked about one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The dialogue there is just perfect. She laughs, 
She's all by herself. Nobody sees it. The angel confronts her and says, hey, why did you laugh? Um, I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. The angel makes, of the Lord makes it as awkward as he can. <laughs> and she has to admit <laughs> that she's laughing in the tent. Now, we're not going to dissect her laugh either. We know that it's, a, it, it's probably similar to Abraham's laugh. Because she's thinking, Is this, could this really be true? It's probably a laugh on some level, a laugh of unbelief. Could something like this really happen? There are times when you and I laugh about something that seems too good to be true because we don't want to get our hopes up, right? Somebody promises something to us and we want that so much that we don't allow ourselves to really believe that it could be true because we don't want to be disappointed. And that's likely what's going on here. She is incredulous that one of the deepest longings of her heart and one of the promises that she had been given would come true. Yet, the unbelievable does in fact come true. Verse 5 of Genesis chapter 21, Abraham was a hundred years old when he laughs was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. That's that little thread that I just wanted to tug at. So you can see the intentionality with the way this book of Genesis was put together by its author. When she says everyone who hears this will laugh over me, she's, she's simply saying everyone will laugh with me. In fact, Almost every modern translation except this one says he will laugh with me. Sarah utters a statement here that echoes down through the ages in a way that she never would have believed. First of all, she's probably blushing a little bit to know that the little laughing event in the, it behind the tent flap got put in the Bible so that Every Christian person forever would know about it. But she's thinking probably in immediate terms about the descendants that are going to follow. And this is going to be a family story because I'm going to have, I'm going to have a child. And they're, they're going to have children and I'm going to be a grandmother. And, and we're going to tell this story at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I know that's anachronistic. Thanksgiving and Christmas don't exist. But we're going to get together for family reunions at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're going to tell this story. We're going to laugh about it. And she knows that that's going to happen, but she doesn't know the scale on which that was going to happen. She could not have known that millennia after millennia after millennia later, we'd still be laughing with her. She's thinking about her immediate descendants having a laugh about this crazy thing that God did. But the Bible tells us that, that Abraham's descendants are not just people who share his DNA. In other words, Abraham's descendants are not just his physical descendants that you could go on Ancestry.com and trace your way all the way back to. The Bible tells us that Abraham's descendants are those 
who don't just share the DNA of Abraham, but those who share the faith of Abraham. In fact, the Bible tells you that if you are sitting here this morning under the preaching of God's Word, and you have been born again, that you are a Christian, you are one of Abraham and Sarah's children. And so we continue to laugh with Sarah in utter disbelief and amazement at what God can do. Here's the truth that I want to highlight for you this morning. It's this. God's people get the last laugh. God's people get the last laugh. You've heard this saying before, right? He who laughs last, laughs best. Most of us have heard that. And the meaning of that statement, when we talk about the idea of a last laugh, what we're talking about is an idea of vindication. When you have the last laugh, that crazy thing that you said you wanted to do, or that crazy thing that you said you believed that everybody laughed at you about, becomes vindicated because you actually turn out to be the one who's right. To have the last laugh is to triumph despite predicted failure, to find success after a defeat or a setback. And as you're looking at God's promise to Abraham and Sarah about having a child and having nations that are going to come from them that are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the longer this goes, the, the more crazy and harebrained it seems. The more it looks like defeat is more of a reality than success. But God's people get the last laugh. And why will we laugh? Why will you laugh one day? I want to give you two reasons that I've drawn out of this little thread that we've been tugging on this morning. Here's the first reason why God's people will get the last laugh. Number one, our doubts will be finally discredited. Our doubts, my doubts, your doubts will be finally discredited. I believe that you and I are not that different from Abraham and Sarah. Thankfully, we're not that old. They exist in a, a, a time period and a culture that is so foreign to ours, it might as well be another planet. Yet, I don't think we're that different. Like Abraham and Sarah, you and I move through life with all of its ups and downs. If you are a Christian, you are a person who is in possession of the very great and precious promises that the Bible talks about. And yet I believe, more often than we might care to admit, you and I find ourselves standing behind the tent flap laughing. 
about God's promises. So God has said things like this in His Word. I will never leave you or forsake you. And we laugh. And we laugh because we say, well, if that's true, where was God when this happened? You promised never to leave me or forsake me, but I cried out to you when it mattered most, and you didn't show up. So we laugh with this. The Bible tells us that God will provide all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And we laugh. Because if you promise to meet all, provide for all of my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus, why did I lose my job? Why am I out here grinding every week because I'm underemployed trying to make a way for my family? Or this. The Bible promises us that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we hear that verse, and we laugh. We say, if that's so, why am I on anxiety medication? You've got to translate the Bible into your own experiences and terms. And when you start putting things that way, I think you and I might find ourselves behind the tent flap laughing a little bit more often than we think. Some of us, in fact, might have a relationship with God that is actually predicated on a, a, a low-lying level, uh, low level of bitterness between us and Him because we've gotten our hopes up before and we're not going to make that mistake again. Like Abraham and Sarah, each of us experience doubts. Let's not pretend we don't. And none of us have to pretend we're not dealing with doubt. Like Abraham and Sarah, each of us experience doubts as we try to figure out how our experiences mesh with God's promises. Because sometimes it sure doesn't seem like they do. And I don't like living with doubt. You probably don't either. I don't like going down the street in the car and then having a thought come to me, whoa, what if, what if none of this is true? That stuff happens. 
one day, faith is going to become sight. And on the day when faith becomes sight, every nagging doubt that you've ever had, every little pebble of doubt that has been lodged in the bottom of your shoe and that causes you to wince a little bit with each step you take, one day that doubt is going to be fully and finally discredited because you and I are going to be holding what up until now we have only hoped for. In other words, you and I are going to laugh about this one day. Remember when we were doubting this? Remember when we thought God wasn't going to come through because of that? We're going to have a laugh. So God's people get the last laugh because our doubts are going to be fully and finally discredited. But the second reason that we are going to get the last laugh is because our faith is going to be fully vindicated. Our faith is going to be fully vindicated. Not only do we have our own doubts to manage, but we have to manage the doubts of others. I imagine Abraham and Sarah moving to the land that God had told them to go through and having to patiently explain to the neighbors why they're here. You move into a neighborhood and people say, what brought you here? Well, our family was growing and we needed a, a new house that was bigger. Or we've moved in from out of state, we got a job transfer, here we are. Or, we've always wanted to live in this particular area of Jacksonville. Those are normal conversations. They didn't have normal conversations. What, what brings you to the neighborhood, Abraham and Sarah? God told us to move here. Okay. Interesting. The only people in the cul-de-sac with that story. Well, what's your name? Abraham means father of a multitude. Oh, how many kids do you have? Zero. Okay. Your name's father of a multitude, and you're this old, and you've got exactly zero children. This is now that now the neighbors are on alert. This is the weird person that's moved into the cul-de-sac. Uh, talking about the neighbors, what, what do you think about the neighborhood and having a question about, where I'm going to build a fence. Where's, where's, where's the fence? Where's the line on our property? And Abraham says, well, actually, um, this is all mine. Okay. In fact, everything I can see in every direction is actually mine. <laughs> okay, now you're not the favorite neighbor. Everything is gone. <laughs> so now the neighborhood going around on the Facebook group is we've got a delusional guy here. God told him to move to our neighborhood. His name is father of a multitude. He has zero kids, and he thinks he owns our yards.
Now, I'm telling you the story that way so you get the point. This is crazy, right? I am sure that Abraham and Sarah at times were considered to be absolutely out of their minds by the people they met. Their faith in the Lord's word. And you might be too. You might have family members in your life who think you are an idiot for following Jesus. In fact, they've had conversations with you and you've had conversation with them and you've just agreed we're not going to talk about this anymore. You have people that you work with and they see how following Jesus impacts your life and they think you're an absolute fool. We are sometimes considered fools for believing that everything in existence was created by God. We're considered fools for believing that a man rose from the dead. You may be thought a fool for believing that you are loved. We were singing a song, Come Thou Fount, this morning. And one of the things that Come Thou Fount looks forward to is a day when you and I are freed from sinning. And you've done some things that people in your life won't forgive you for or let go of. And if you were to tell them one day, I'm going to be changed. They would say, don't believe it. You may be thought a fool for believing that one day you have an inheritance waiting for you. The riches of Christ on streets of gold. You may be a, considered a fool for believing that you will be reunited with friends and family members who have died knowing Christ. You may be considered a fool for all of those things, but let me tell you something, church, you're going to have the last laugh on this. Because your faith will be proven not to have been misplaced. Your faith will be, get, will be vindicated. You will receive every single thing God has promised and not a penny less. all true. Jesus once said this, and we're closing. There's, uh, there's these listings, these sayings of Jesus that are called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, the most famous version of the Beatitudes, appears in Matthew chapter 5. But Jesus taught those things on numerous occasions to numerous kinds of audiences and, and used different words in each of them. And so, uh, uh, one of the Beatitudes talks about, blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. But that's not the only listing of the Beatitudes in the New Testament. They actually appear in Luke chapter 6 as well. 
And when Jesus said it that time, he said this, blessed are you who weep now, because what's going to happen? You're going to laugh. Life is full of disappointments. The longer you live, the more real that becomes. Life is full of regrets. Life is full of losses. Following Jesus is not always the primrose path that we have been led to believe it to be. And God often does things in ways that are unexpected to us and that we can't explain. If we could explain to ourselves and to everyone else why God does everything the way He does it and in the order in which He does it, then we wouldn't need to walk by faith. But God does a lot of things as He orchestrates His universe that are not part of my plan and that don't make sense to me and I don't have answers for. But Jesus makes this promise to us. Though this world sometimes makes us weep, one day we are all going to laugh about. And even that thing in your mind that you're thinking right now, except that. Even that will be so far outweighed by the weight of glory that awaits us. Even that we'll laugh about. So in just a few moments here, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. 